In his 1982 novel, Shoeless Joe, the Canadian author W.B. Kinsella tells the story of an Iowan farmer who risks his family's future to build a full-size baseball diamond, complete with floodlights and bleachers, in a valuable field of corn, in order that the ghosts of a group of disgraced baseball players can come out and play one last game, thus allowing their souls to rest. The book, of course, went on to become the hit film Field of Dreams, starring Kevin Costner. And the most famous line in the film remains, Build it and they will come. They, of course, refers to the thousands of troubled souls from all over America, who at the end of the film descend on the farm, paying money to sit and watch the ghostly game, and buying, for just a few dollars, some moments of inner peace. In this episode of Finger Flicking Good, we'll be looking at that unique subgroup within the Subutio community, the Stadium Builders. We'll ask them why they do it, what made them pick up their tools and build their first layout, and what it is about their creations that continues to enrapture those of us who don't build. All that and more coming up in this episode of Finger Flicking Good. Keep listening. By the time Sibutio launched their first grandstand in 1976, I had already been playing the game for a couple of years. Like everyone else in my council block in Aberdeen, we played the game on the floor of our bedrooms, occasionally kneeling on players and snapping them off at the ankles, leading to botched re-glues that led to injuries from which the players never really recovered. In the era before superglue, Bostic or Yoohoo were never going to be the magic sponge we hoped for and these repaired players often sunk into a sea of glue and ended up resembling the undernourished footballers of the hungry thirties. Due to this lack of room on the floor and the cost, grandstand sold for £2.95 at a time when teams cost only 75 pence, neither me nor my friends owned any of these. Besides, even if we had been able to play the game on a board on a table, which to us in 1976 was living the dream, it would just have been too difficult to reach over these stands to play. It would have been like playing Sibutio as an obstacle course rather than as table football. Stephen Hurrell, who runs the influential blog and website Sibutio Online, tends to agree with me. Um, you know, Sibutio is a, it's a tabletop game and stadium building isn't anything to do with the game. It's modelling more than anything else. In fact, it makes the game much more difficult to play because you have to be constantly elbowing subspensions off the pitch. So what is it that makes a grown man take his first step to start building a Subutio stadium? Is it simply a desire to relive their childhood or is it something more? Here's Stephen Hurrell again, summing up what I suppose will be the main reason for many a stadium builder taking that initial step. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be a similar story for a lot of people. I mean... It, the Subutio catalogues that came with new sets uh, that they post out to members of the Subutio club when you when you were a child always had an amazing looking stadium on the front. They always had you know either you know it was always boys two boys playing with a stadium set up and it always looked particularly awkward because the stands are quite big when you're a you know six seven year old boy. Um, but they always looked fantastic. They made them really atmospheric. You know, the floodlights, the stands, and it was always just you know you wanted to replicate that. Ross Makovich who is on both Twitter and Instagram as Subutio Brummy, is another one who was seduced by Subutio's canny marketing. 
Here he is explaining how he took the step to build what he modestly describes as his non-league setup. Just love that old nostalgic feel. Um, I think a few people said this in the past. On the old Subutio boxes, you have the, the stadium set up. As a kid, I never had that. I just had the sets, I just had the pitch, had the fence. I never ever had a grandstand and I never had a terrace set. Um, so it was something I always wanted. Um, but obviously when you're, you're a kid, it's, it's, they're expensive. You, you don't really know how to put them together, I guess. Um, so it was more for just scratching that itch, I guess. It was something I, I wanted, wanted to do. I saw a lot of photos online um, of what people had done. I'd done some research. Um, Stuart. The Subutio collector, he did a fantastic video um, where he did his own and kind of took a bit of inspiration from that. Mine's nowhere near the standard of his, um, but certainly took the premise of it while taking an MDF board, putting a pitch down, putting a fence down, and then building around it. So, like, I've got a couple of terrace sets, um, yeah, a couple of terracing around it. I've got a grandstand. My aim is to probably be get a few more. I want to get the red and blue grandstand. I haven't got that. Um, but I've always liked the green. I always think like the green is classic Subutio um, and the lot with the tan terrace set as well. Um, so, it, yeah, it was kind of scratching that itch a little bit. Will I build more around it? Possibly. Yeah. Um, but as anyone will probably say, you need more space. <laughs> so if I have more space and I can work around that, then maybe I'll start look start to build something a bit bigger. But for the time being, I like using what I do. Um, I use it for my photos on Instagram and Twitter. It, 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 it works out to be a very nice backdrop. Uh, and it's kind of like a prop at the minute. Um, so I'm, I'm happy with it. The only thing I probably need to do is just buy a few more spectators to fill out the, um, the terrace sets. So as you've probably seen on some of the photos, that they all look like they're social distancing at the minute. So I need to get a few more of them. But unless you're painting your own, painted spectators are quite a lot of money um, on eBay. So... That would be something I'd probably look to do as well. Uh, I think me and you spoke about it. Maybe like I need to start painting my own spectators and do it that way. Um, when I get a bit more time, maybe I will do that. But some of the guys, some of their um, some of their setups are out of this world. Um, obviously, that would be something to aspire to for myself at a later date. But for the time being, just happy with the Sunday League setup. For David Hoggard, who's on Twitter as GoTableSoccer, getting into stadium building came as a result of seeing the work of others online. At the same time, he also saw it as a great opportunity to learn new skills. Um, seeing Paul God's uh, Facebook page and the the designs that he, he'd created on there, and basically I just fell in love with it. I thought it was also an opportunity to learn a new skill. And I thought, well, let's get into 3D printing. You know, it was affordable, well, for me anyway, you know, it was, you could get fairly cheap entry-level 3D printers. Um, like lots of things, a bit like painting, it's been a steep learning curve with frustrations along the way. Um I'd probably say I'm not the most practical of people when it comes to equipment, but I've had to be. I've had to learn how to um, repair the machines when they go wrong. Uh, and so that was the starting point. And from that, it's moved on to creating my own pieces um, and continually refining and my knowledge on that and improving my knowledge. 
I think it's important that you're continuously learning. You know, I don't, I don't care how old you are, really. If you can learn new things, uh, it just it's better for you. Alan Crompton runs the website The Beauty of Passion, where he chronicles his ongoing project to build a replica of his beloved Villa Park. Like many who turn their hand to building Stadia, the impetus often comes from having the time, the money, and more importantly, the space to build their dream project. Yeah, I, I, obviously as a child, um, first of all, I hadn't got the money to, uh, to, to build a stadium um, or the space. Um, and, it's, uh, and it's took me until now. I've had an ambition ever since 1986 to build Villa Park. And... Um, well, it's dreams coming true now at last. The recent global coronavirus pandemic seems to have fueled a number of people's desire to build the Sabutio Stadium of their dreams. For Jason Christopher, last year's lockdown provided the perfect opportunity. Yeah, um, so basically my intended retirement project was to build a stadium. When I was a kid, I always wanted... Uh, to actually have a stadium but because i played at competitive level um that wasn't conducive also you know the fact that um i was a uh, an only child in a sort of a single parent family money wasn't great either so in terms of buying bits that wasn't brilliant um i think you know i used to have to wait for sort of birthdays and christmas to get like 10 supporters off my granddad or something so it was going to take all my life i think if i started to build a stadium back then um so yeah so when um when lockdown came about uh first one um that was it it was like yeah i'll bring my retirement uh forward i've not um i'm quite a way off actual retirement but um i thought well you know let's do it sort of thing of course when embarking on a stadium build there's one thing above all you need to consider more than anything here's stephen huddle again to tell you what it is I mean, the stands are, are really bulky um, and a number of the Sabutio pitches are very big as well. <clears throat> you don't really realise once it's laid out and with stands around the entire thing. Um, it's, it's huge. It's a, it's a really big stadium. Um, it takes up a lot of space. You, you, you see people with sort of train sets in the, in the room and it's at least as big as some of those. Um, and, and, you know, and it, it's expensive as well. You know, each individual stands, you know, at the, t- the time I was buying them, they were up £30 a stand. They're probably up to £50 a stand now. Um, with and you know, self-painting them and, and everything else that goes with it, um, it, it it's it's a fairly big project and and you know there's a few people in the community who've taken it steps further and built even bigger stands you know three tiers four tiers, um, running tracks around the pitch it's it's incredible what some people come up with. So if you have the space, and the cost doesn't prove to be prohibitive, there still may be a stumbling block to achieving your dream of building a Sabutio version of Wembley. I asked our contributors how easy it was to get planning permission from their other half. First up, it's the beauty of Brummy, Ross Makovich. When I first um, when I first told her about it, she was like, "What you're on about?" <laughs> and then I said, "Well, basically, I'm going to get this big piece of MDF from BQ. I'm going to put a an AstroTurf pitch down, and then I'm going to start building around it." Kind of went over her head. Uh, and then, funnily enough, it was my dad that helped me put it together. So he's a builder, so he was able to source the MDF for me, which was great. And then, yeah, we just put it together on the um, outside. So 
I think everyone's question is, is how do you stick a pitch down to an MDF board? And we use this um, a spray-on glue stuff. I can't remember the, the name of it off the top of my head. It's something that everyone seems to know in the beauty of community. It's like a blue can. Um, so I put that down and then it just went on from there then, let it dry. And then that's when I started to build around the fencing, got the goals. Um, so the goals that I'm not, to be fair, the goals that I've got on there are the only non-subuity items I've got there. Um, there are a couple of Pegasus goals. Uh, and then around that, I've just put like some advertising boardings and I've put a few of the stadium accessories on there, like the police sets, the, the cameramen, the ball boys. And it looks all right, all complete with, with how it's turned out. It's, I mean, I'm lucky. Um, I've got um, a room in my house where every, the whole collection is kind of housed. So it's kind of like a, a gym slash subuto room. So I've got like a, I've got a treadmill, I've got an exercise bike in it. Then I've got all my collection around it and all my paraphernalia on the walls and on shelves and on cupboards and stuff. So I'm, I'm lucky in that regard. My wife just said, as long as it's not in the living room and as long as it's not in the main house, it's fine. Um, but I think every guy um, who's into Sabuta probably has the same issue with their their revolve. But she, she's class with it. She she understands that I'm really into it, and she like even for Christmas, birthday she she'll buy me Sabuta stuff or football related stuff. Like for my birthday, she wrapped it all my presents up in lots of beauty wrapping paper, which was a really nice touch. So yeah, she she knows it's something. It's a passion of mine and. She's like, she says, just go ahead with it. If, if it makes you happy. Next, it's Stuart Grant, otherwise known as the energetic host of the YouTube channel, You Beautio. He's got a slightly different take on getting your wife on board with your project. <laughs> well, as she says, what she can't see doesn't hurt her. So that that's the, the plan of mission that was needed. That's why we moved house. I think I said this before. We moved house so she couldn't see the Sabuti Ho that I had on display before. But she's always said, what she can't see can't hurt her. And that is pretty much it. Although she did stick her head up in the loft a few weeks ago because we've got a bit of a problem with condensation up in there at the moment. We're getting some work done on it. And she did stick her head up to have a look and she did sort of say, you have taken up half of our loft with Sabuti Ho Stadium. And I was like, yeah, it's all right. There's loads of room up there. She's like, yeah, but I could put other stuff up there. Nah, don't worry about it. It'd be absolutely, it'd be absolutely fine. So, yeah, it, it it was easy at first, but I think now she realises just how big it is. I think I could get some uh, retrospective planning orders thrown on me, but I'll just buy her a handbag maybe, and then she'll be happy. Buy some Ted Baker perfume. That normally seems to work. <laughs> Stuart Grant there, taking us back to a time before feminism. Sometimes, though, support is much easier to come by. Here's Jason Christopher. Uh, really easy, actually. And she was the one that um, actually encouraged me to do it. Um, I used to have a classic car in the garage, and then I sold that um, just before Christmas, before lockdown. Um, the garage was full of rubbish and stuff that we'd accumulated over the years. And uh, she said, for God's sake, clear the garage out and build that stadium. <laughs> so there you go. And she even sort of contributed to um, the first couple of hundred fans for me, which was great. In the end, though, it makes perfect sense to get the support of your other half if the stadium build isn't to become a point of contention between you. Here's Alan Crampton. <laughs> um, she, likes, she likes her spare t her free time. Um, her time and I like uh, I like my time so um, so we have a nice balance so um, but um, you know obviously we make sure that uh, we have time for ourselves um, but uh, 
but she knows it makes me happy. Stephen Hurrell is someone who likes to keep his wife on side, but he's been smart enough to recognise that in the case of a stadium build, size definitely matters. I didn't go for the full two-tier stands all the way round. It was a very non-league style, so we had one big grandstand, a couple of terraces on the ends, that sort of thing, you know, burger vans and that sort of thing. Took up a little bit less space. Um, and I'm also able to take it down and display each side individually. So it's it's a sort of, you know, part work stadium. So it can be sort of put together and taken down quite easily now after a few years of, of playing with that. It does make it a lot easier and it means you can try different things and, you know, different sets of fans in the stand and all that sort of thing. So it, it, um, it does make things a lot easier. You've got your other half's blessing to build the stadium of your dreams. So what's next? Do you build a generic stadium using official and unofficial Subudio products? Or do you go for something bespoke? Jason Christopher was faced with this exact dilemma until he decided to build a replica of his beloved Cheltenham Towns ground. Um, well, funnily enough, stadium. I didn't actually intend replicating Cheltenham's ground. I started off by trying to use you know, proper um, Subutio uh, grandstands and then trying to make them look like Cheltenham, which was impossible. Um, so I ended up going back to the drawing board and just completely starting again. So what I used for the actual sort of, um, for the for the seating areas, if you like, uh, I used traditional Subutio terraces and grandstands. Um, I, I hunted around on eBay and various places to try and get ones that were uh, not pristine, obviously, because of the, the value, um, but ones that I could either restore or respray myself, that ones that had seen better days kind of thing. Um, and then the rest of it was sort of, you know, bits of odd plastic, bits of timber, bits of how, household sort of rubbish turned into useful bits and parts. Um, and then the, the terracing, the, the sort of terracing bits that we've got, I built up out of um, builder's shims, um, the things you know you, you sort of use to pack out gaps between uh, things to make them level, that kind of thing. Um, glued them all together and then sprayed them and um, put a few videos together, which I put on the, the Facebook um, Subutio Stadium page um, and went from there. One of the most ambitious projects currently underway within the stadium building community is Alan Crampton's self-build of Villa Park. Here he explains how he's in the fortunate position of having a job which helps him with this. Uh, now, obviously, I've got um, I've got all the Subutio Terrace and the uh, Zwego Terrace, um, etc. that I've been using, um, which I cut. Um, but I'm fortunate enough to work in a plastics components factory. Um, and um, basically, we work, we make um, box enclosures from plastic. Um, and um, I'm I'm available. I, I'm free to take um, any of the offcuts that are that I'm that I want to take. So um, so I've got a storeroom full of this stuff. <laughs> I uh, I was planning on making it from wood, um, as as you know the uh, the structure to start with but um but obviously when i got the job there and um i've been lucky enough then to uh, to have what i want so um it's working very well once your stadium is built 
then it needs to come alive. Luckily, Sabutio had already thought about that. From the early 1970s onwards, they'd been producing a series of OO scale figures and accessories to supplement the game and give it that authentic feel. Many of these sets were bought and sold, meaning that they come up regularly on auction sites like eBay. Even I owned a few of them back in the day. A bench set, referee and linesman, VIP presentation set and a pair of corner kick takers. Most of them, however, I found rather pointless. A view that Stephen Huddle accepts as valid, but only up to a point. Yeah, I mean, they don't have any application to the game itself, the rules of the game itself. You know, you can't do anything with a, with a subs bench. Um, you know, the, the only sort of accessories that actively work within the game, potentially, are the referee sets. Um, somebody also released a, a Sabutio stripper set, which actually had a few rules around breaking and stopping the game. So you could flick a streaker on when somebody was going through one-on-one. Um, but majority of the Sabutio accessories are just aesthetic. Um, you know the, the subs bench and the, <clears throat> the stands themselves, the TV tower. Um, and they, they 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 were just introduced just because you know Sabutio, the original line for Sabutio was you know that a, a replica of association football, and they wanted it to be a replica of association football. Um, at the time, you know, modelling was huge, you know, especially with young people, train sets, that sort of thing. And um, Sabutio just it just sort of to do this and you know sell some more bits and pieces. Um, and, and but I love the accessories. I love them because the accessories were Sabutio really being ahead of the curve and really innovating. And it just shows how clever Sabutio was at times. Um, things like you know the crush barriers and the um, and the fences from the sort of seventies when hooliganism was a an issue and obviously they're quite a controversial um, accessory now. Um, but it just shows that Sabutio was looking at what's going on in the real world and saying, right, we need this in our in our sets. And you know they did these amazingly illustrated adverts of. You know, get get your police set. It's just like the real thing with a picture of police at Wembley, um, and I just think it, it was. It just shows how clever Sabutio was with its marketing, um, and you know, it sold a lot of these sets as well, a lot of these accessories. Um, it, it was just a really innovative company, and, it, and so many of them are just so fun as well. Um, it's addictive when you start putting a stadium together and you start adding little bits of details that make it feel like a real stadium. Most of our contributors accept that accessories are there only to provide texture to their stadium scene. And this is where I believe it crosses over from Subutio into model making. A point that David Hoggard also accepts may be true. As well, if you're into those accessories, if you want to create a scene, if you like. And again, like I said, I'm moving into that kind of creating, you know, some scenery to go with it. Now, having those accessories if you like, just add to the atmosphere, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it, it's down to personal preference. If you just want to play and you maybe just want the fence around or you've got a table and you've actually got the the wooden border built around it, you know, that's fine too. It's just I'm enjoying this stadium building like trying to solve problems with the 3D printing side, then designing the stadium, you know, having various different options, and then just creating scenes like that. I mean, I've even started buying back scenes to put behind some of the stadiums. Of course, 
you don't have to feel that you have to build a huge stadium. Alan Crampton, like David Hoggard, believes that a stadium can be as big or as small as you want it to be. I think uh, if you uh, if you put um, a couple of benches and uh, a tree and a, a, a dog uh, and a dog walker, um, that's a stadium to me as well. To be fair, um, that they all they all add realism. Jason Christopher is someone else who thinks that making your ground as realistic as possible is what drives the stadium builder to keep developing and updating their project. Here he is describing how he tries to keep his model of Cheltenham Town's Johnny Rock Stadium as up-to-date as possible. Well, I am a bit of a sucker for attention to detail, I have to say. Um, I mean, all the, all of the, um, the advertising uh, is authentic. All the adverts around the ground are exactly what they've got in the stadium itself uh, and as and when because uh, I can only get to see a game now on, on iPlayer obviously um, every time I see that one has changed I go and change it in the garage which is a bit little bit OCD um, in terms of actual how it sort of looks the, the finish of it um, yeah it's, it's about detail right? the devil's in the detail so like if part of the stadium's got a brick wall I'll then print out a, a brick wall from the internet or something like that and then scale it down to size and then stick it onto to whatever. Ross Makovic doesn't subscribe to the opinion that accessories are only for stadium builders. Here he is talking about what accessories bring to his enjoyment of the game and how he feels that the modern Subutio brand might just be missing a trick. No, I, I love collecting them. I probably... I probably get more enjoyment collecting accessories than the team sometimes because they're just they're just different, and that's when Subutio is at its best. Um, they don't do it now. Stuart Grant did a fantastic video in the week actually when he was talking about uh, Swago and how they do it. Um, they release loads of accessories, and you don't really get it with Subutio now. Obviously, there's been a bit of controversy over their release of the BIR set, um, which. Yeah, it kind of boggled my mind because they talked about it six months ago and then they dropped a tweet at 8pm. I mean, I work in marketing myself, so I kind of thought, that's a bit odd. There was like no build-up to it as such, like no mention of where to get it from. And I know Stu had a bit of a go at him, and probably so, because he's basically saying, where do, where do you get this from? Um, I mean, they don't do it now, as, as obviously they don't release as many accessories, but I love the old ones i've got many dugouts um i've got a tv tower in an old box set as well i've got the the match officials i've got everything in regard to that um but it makes the it makes the set look more authentic i think and they make great photos if you've got a grandstand uh and some of the green fencing and then a few ball boys and the 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 bench behind it it, it looks really good so no i um i think it's not just for stadium builders as such i think collectors too um Subutio Pad, who's got the best collection I've ever seen. If you see what he's got in his cabinet, he's got loads of them. And they just look really good. If you can display them uh, really nice, then they, they look the part. Um, but I always look out for accessories just as often as I look out for teams. Um, as I say, like I've got the Italian 90 goal sets, which I was chuffed to get. Um, there's a few other bits I'll probably look to get as well. VIP presentation set with the it's like the royal family isn't it with the, the cup that's one of my favorite sets and i like the old green boxes from the 60s and 70s i think they look class and i always say on my posts that they were just so ahead of their time 
back then in terms of how to present a product. Like they can take something so simple as got six ball boys and put them in a green box with like a little background and it just looked brilliant. I just wish they could do that now, but it, it just doesn't seem that they're going down that route for whatever reason. Um, whether that's like a difference in, in terms of like how they did things back then to now, obviously it's changed, but Swago are definitely the head of the head of the curve. And I said to Stuart on a tweet earlier, like it, it makes you realise just how underrated they are. Hopefully, it's a beauty on one day we'll get back to that, but I don't see it anytime soon, unfortunately. Stuart Grant is another of our contributors who loves the range of accessories that Sabutio created over the years. Here he is waxing lyrical about everything from dugouts to ball boys. No, not at all. I mean, even on my little seven-a-side pitch, which is what I use when I do eventually get a game, I've still got dugouts on that. I just think, it, no, it, it adds to the realism. You've got to have things like that. Otherwise, you're just playing on a blank pitch. It's like, you look at Scale Electrics and you've got the racetrack going around it. They still have little bits over the finish line and they still have little, what do you call it, um, little chicanes and stuff like that and pit stops. You can't just play a game with just goals on a pitch. You've got to have accessories around it because then it, it brings it to life, doesn't it? It brings it to life that little bit more. But you def- no, you definitely need them. I mean, if anyone's starting, yeah, fair enough, goals on a pitch, but you can't start that. You can't just stop there. You need at least a fence with some corner flags and then you need the dugouts because you need subs because we all tread on... We'll tread on players. So you need subs that are going to come on. You then need referees to add that realism. No, I don't think they are just for stadium builders. I think they add to it. And I've played in some, I've played on a pitch that has got probably the best stadium made. And it's the best game of I've probably ever had because it makes it more fun and makes it more interesting. So no, even, even normal players should have accessories dotted around their pitch. Definitely. In this episode on stadium building, we found out why they do it, how they do it, and something about the materials and accessories that they've used to create that sense of realism in their stadiums. It's now time to end the programme by asking each of our contributors what it is they get out of creating these labours of love. First up is Jason Christopher. His desire to build his stadium comes from his love for his beloved Cheltenham town. Uh, well, to me, to me in particular, it was. Um, I mean, once I started the ball rolling, it was, it was just the, the whole. I was encapsulated by the whole idea of having my my favourite ground, which I couldn't go to any longer, um, or certainly not for the foreseeable future, um, in my garage. <laughs> um, there was something quite appealing about that, and when I opened the garage door. Um, you know, where we sort of live in the shadow of Fratton Park, believe it or not. Um, and, and Fratton Park was never on my agenda to, to build that in my garage. Um, I think a lot of people probably resonate with that as well. You know, if they, if, if they don't necessarily live on the doorstep of their favourite team, for example, um, like me, I mean, we moved to, to um, Portsmouth um, six years ago and I don't get to see Cheltenham live, um, other than if I can see them on the telly, that often, not, not as often as I used to. I mean, I used to go literally every game home and away. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of people resonate with that. If they if they can have it in, you know, in their house or in their greenhouse or shed or, or whatever, it, it's there. 
The global coronavirus pandemic and the fact that people may be missing live football might well have contributed to a rise in new stadium builds. But I believe it may also be nostalgia that has fueled at least some of the growth in stadium building. Here's Jason Christopher again. And I think that kind of goes back to when we were kids as well, because, you know, when you're growing up you, you, at an early age, um, you suddenly become aware of this, this great, beautiful thing called football. Um, and, you you know, you look forward to a Wednesday night when sports night was on or whatever, and you'd see all these really sort of exotic teams like St Etienne playing Liverpool in the European Cup or, or whatever. And to be able to re recreate that in your bedroom or you know, on the on the living room carpet or whatever was 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 fantastic. You were never going to get the chance to do that any other way. And I think it's exactly the same now for us old fogies doing it in lockdown. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's that. You're right. It's it, it's it's really sort of um, promoted it that way. For Alan Crampton, stadium building has added a new dimension to his passion for Subutio. Not only does he still enjoy the playing side of the game, but he looks forward to the time he gets to spend building a replica of Villa Park. Um, well, um, obviously to add the realism, I think um, a stadium adds more realism to Sabutio than, than anything else could, obviously, than the, um, the actual playing of the game. Um, but, uh, I mean, to be fair, um, I... I was a model maker. Um, I used to build aeroplanes and um, the airfix ships, uh, etc. Inspired by the Falklands War all those years ago. Um, but um, it's been a while. Then I made a model railway um, when I first uh, moved into my own place. Um, until I had to break that up for um, for children. Um, but um, but then, uh, obviously now uh, having the uh, the space to build it. Um, and uh, get it to uh, to the replica standard that uh, I'm managing to do. Luckily, um, it's uh, it gives me such a, you know great enjoyment and satisfaction. Yeah, uh, I mean I have to say uh, I do enjoy um, my solo gameplays, um, but um, I do enjoy uh, getting into the uh, the workshop to build the stadium. Uh, that's certainly where I think I get the majority of my enjoyment at the moment. Stephen Huddle is someone else who thinks that stadium building is directly linked to the appeal of model making. He thinks that it's the attention to detail that's involved in model making that makes each stadium build unique. It, I mean, it's tough. Um, you know, Subutio is a, it's a tabletop game. Um, stadium building isn't anything to do with the game. It's modelling more, more than anything else. In fact, it makes the game much more difficult to play because you have to you're constantly elbowing subventions off the pitch. Um, I, I, I genuinely don't know. I don't know what the the appeal is. Um, some people just like building things, and you know, modeling has been around for hundreds of years. You know, from people building replica model ships in bottles, you know, right through to to now, and you know, the popularity of Lego and, and things like that. People just like building things. Um, I think with Spudio Stadiums, you can really you can innovate. It's the details that I love. Um, you know, you can get the generic Spuzio stands. You can fill it with generic Spuzio fans. You can put fences up that are sold in every single Spuzio box set. Um, and people still find a way to make each stadium look really unique, whether it's a, a clever lighting trick or, you know, a 3D printed 
set of stairs that you know lead fans up to the top tier. Um, it's the little details that really make it and make each ground almost unique. And you know, at the at the moment, obviously before lockdown, that there was a there's a huge community of ground hoppers, and um, I like to go to non-league football. I like to go to other get other grounds. Um, especially older ones, you know, with the old style floodlights and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's a bit like that with Sabutio. Each ground is sort of the difference. So you've got these places all over the country, you know, these these back rooms and these attics all over the country with these, each one is just a little bit different and a little bit, you know, it'd be great if we could do a tournament where we went around all of them and played play games in all of them. I think it'd be great. In fact, Stephen argues that it's a detail involved in some of these stadium builds that makes it such a great aspect of the modern Sabutio community. Um, and, and, and that, re- I mean, that highlights perfectly the sort of micro detail, you know, that, that how, I mean, Sabutio can be really good looking. It can be really, um, as you say, atmospheric. Um, I've, I've written about a couple of stadiums that when you, when you actually see the thumbnail online, it looks like the real thing that somebody replicated them, Bruce Dortmund's ground. And took took a shot from down by the corner flag, looking out to the stadium, and you can't tell it's a Sabutio Stadium. It's so well done, um, and, and I think that's the heart of it. Really, it just looks fantastic. You know, set up a Sabutio Stadium in your house and invite anybody with any sort of interest in football around, um, especially sort of men of a certain age, um, and they'll just they'll love it. They'll obsess over it for for hours if you let them. For Ross Markovic, though, it's the look of a stadium that he thinks appeals to the people who build them? The look. I think the fact that you could have something like, I mean, anyone that's a football enthusiast would say they would love something like that. Um, I always think back to my days as a child when I've seen it on the back of the boxes. Um, I'm looking at one now where it's got like a Brazil versus Italy uh, and there's like the the blue and red grandstand and the terrace around it and it just looks really good. I think David Hoggard, he's doing it really well. I love what he does on Instagram because he, he's obviously doing brilliant stuff with his stadium builds. And what he's doing now that I thought was really, really good is that he's got like backdrops, hasn't he? And I think there was one with like mountains and stuff, and it just looks class. It looks, it just looks the part. And if you can do a really good stadium, um, it's something to cherish, I guess, as well. It's something that you, you're going to have in your home. You can always add to it. It's something good to look at as a collector as well to have that. In, in your house it's just it's just like a dream I guess for any sort of beauty or enthusiast as I say my aim one day whether I'm in my 40s or 50s or whatever it's going to be is to have, actually build a big one uh, and actually have one in, in, in a dedicated room That that's my goal uh, I want to do it uh, at the moment I'm happy with the collecting um, but as more but as the collection grows that's going to mean that I'm probably going to have more accessories and sets to, to, to eventually build a, a big um, a big stadium so it's, it's, it's one of my ambitions. Um, but as I say, I'm happy with the Sunday League setup for the time being, but it just goes back to back to when you was a child. Um, it was an ambition back then. It still is now. I've kind of scratched that itch a little bit, but now the itch has got bigger, I guess, and I want to start building uh, a bigger one. But I'll just have to get um, more planning permission from the wife, I guess, <laughs> to get that done. David Hogard, on the other hand, gets an enormous amount of pleasure out of his stadium building projects. Here he is explaining what he gets out of it. It's me a tremendous satisfaction <laughs> um, that when you see the final result of all the efforts you've put into building it and, you know, you've 
maybe you've done a 3D print that's taken 34 hours for one piece. <laughs> uh, and then you've got that all there. Um, you've got an, say, essentially the entire stadium there. And then I enjoy taking the photographs of it, you know, and documenting what I've done. Again, people might think that's crazy, but I actually get huge enjoyment out of it, you know, and it's just a personal thing. Um, like I say, it, it, I just love putting it together, and obviously you can then fill it with fans. Now, if you want to, you can get the Zwego Sabutio fans and paint them as well, which I may do as well at some point in the future, you know. Um, maybe to match some of the teams that I've painted myself. Um, yeah, so we're probably, we're probably, we're probably right. slightly odd as stadium builders. But it's like the question is, why do model railway enthusiasts do what they do? Um, you know, <laughs> why do war gamers do what they do? I mean, I've been looking at some of the war gamers stuff and there's some really fantastic uh painters and scenic people out there doing wonderful stuff as well now i wouldn't get into wargaming I, I don't fully understand it at all but from a if you like from an artistic point of view this it's absolutely brilliant but let's leave the last word to the subutio collector stuart grant he's been building stadiums for so long he thinks he may have lost sight of why it is that he continues to do it. You know what? It's weird to say that because I don't know anymore. It's weird. When I first built the stadium, it was just to relive what I had. Now, with it, it's just an extension of not being able to have that original stadium in the loft now because I've now got it in my room, but wanting to still do something and go further. I suppose it's a satisfaction, really, of knowing that when it's done, I'll have something that's unique to me, because it'll have the running track around it and it'll have the different floodlights I've put on it, it's really hard to sort of say what I get out of it. Maybe it's a satisfaction to be able to sit back, look at it, and go, yeah, I did that, and release them. I don't know what they're called, the feel-good hormone, isn't it? Be able to sit there and look back at them. Every time I pop into the loft to get something out, I'll be able to look at it and be like, yeah, that's great. And it will never stop, because there will always be something new. Where, I mean, let's be honest, five, year, five ten years ago, people that building stadiums didn't have a VAR unit. But now you've got to have a VAR unit. So in five, ten years, I'll probably have something else around it. It could be I'll put a railway track or a club shop. But there's going to be aspects where, in my eyes, it will never end. And it will keep giving me that satisfaction. I suppose it's just, yes, it's almost like a self-absorbed satisfaction. I don't know how I'd describe what I get out of it, really. Now, I'm not a stadium builder. And what rekindled my return to Sibutio this time around as opposed to my returns of 1990 and 2009, was a desire to paint my own teams and relive classic games from European competitions of the 1960s and 70s. I still haven't taken that next step and built a stadium in which to play these matches, and I doubt that I ever will, but rather than be a hostage to fortune, I'm prepared to never say never. For the time being, I'm happy with my red fence set, subs bench, floodlights and scoreboard. I tend to agree with Stephen Hurrell. The whole thing about Subutio is how silly it can get, 
and people building a replica of Villa Park may well sound silly to those outside the community, but to those inside it, it makes perfect sense. Maybe David Halgard is right. Maybe stadium builders are a strange bunch, but they are our strange bunch, and their utopian view of the world as encapsulated in their building of stadia chimes on a certain level with my anarchist sympathies. If it feels good, I say, do it. And as Stephen Harrell did say in this episode, Sabutio stadiums can look good, really good. But if you don't believe me, then follow any of our contributors and check out their pictures online. Like me, you'll be rightly impressed by how creative they are. In the next episode, we'll be back with the artists. But instead of concentrating on team painting this time, we'll be looking at those who create and make their own figures, as well as creating art that uses the Sabutio figure for its inspiration. So if you don't want to miss the show, then subscribe to Finger Flickin' Good on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finger Flicking Good is an airtime production. It's written and presented by me, Derek Ayer, with contributions from Jason Christopher, Alan Crampton, Stuart Grant, David Hoggard, Stephen Harrell and Ross Mapovich. The theme music is Drive. It's written and produced specially for the programme by Campbell Ayer of The Creature Appeal. Check them out on Apple Music, Amazon Music and Spotify.